In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, we're covering everything that we know right now about altcoins that could be in danger after the FTX collapse. I'll walk you through the companies and communities that could be deeply affected by this crisis based on what we know and how you can potentially position yourself to make the best decisions in its wake. But that's not all. We've got news about a new Cardano feature launching later this year in 2022, crypto regulation updates, and some news on the Cosmos Atom 2.0 vote, as well as a few more things. So that said, you know the drill. Grab yourself a coffee. Make sure that you are subscribed or following the podcast and stick around for the whole episode. And thank you to Red Rooster for the coffee today. Now, it is official. FTX, the crypto exchange, once valued at $32 billion, has now filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in what is alleged to be over a $10 billion hole on their balance sheet. And this bankruptcy includes many child companies as well, like FTX US, Alameda Research, so on and so forth. To make matters worse, reports have also swirled around insider or hackers having drained what's left of the funds in FTX's wallets, leaving little hope that creditors, including retail investors with deposits on FTX, will ever get any money back. Unfortunately, due to FTX and Alameda's wide-reaching investments and financial relationships around the industry, there's likely going to be many more problems and potential bankruptcies to come for those with deep ties to FTX. We've already seen some casualties, such as BlockFi, who are crippled by FTX's sudden dissolution. So let's take a look at what I've been able to find on FTX and Alameda Research's investments, depository relationships, and acquisitions, so you can be aware of the impact it might have on your portfolio or your relationships as a customer. And I want to caveat this by saying that we don't know everything yet, and there will be surprises, there's going to be new info, there's going to be some that are a problem, some that are not, but this should give you a clear picture of what information I'm using right now to make my own decisions in the market. So first, let's talk through their direct investments, which represent potentially large holdings that could be dumped onto the market, but also networks that could see disruption due to institutional de-risking, liquidity issues, and more. So this slide from The Block, and I'll link it in the description, I take no credit for this slide, but it's a great reference that you should use to mark down any holdings or companies you interact with that are or may be exposed to FTX. There are a few obvious ones that come straight to mind that have a heavy concentration of institution and venture investment that I think are clear candidates for de-risking due to their quite prevalent association with FTX, such as uh, Solana, Aptos, and to an extent, Mistin Labs or SUI Network. And those are not the only ones that might feel the effects of this with other investments that you see here like Refinance, Lido, Coral, and Mina as notable names amongst the list of investments. For one, Solana's total value locked or TVL has dropped by over 30% so far as that de-risking has already begun. And I mean, this slide has quite a few names on it. Immutable, Composable Finance, Sunday Swap, there is a lot here, and until you get confirmation of how big the exposure might be, approach this very cautiously and look for projects that you own. By the time this video publishes, it's also possible that some of the organizations behind the projects here will have clarified the exact terms of the agreements that they had with FTX or their exposure therein, and they'll help you ascribe a value to the risk, like NEAR and Layer Zero have done, which I applaud. Uh, Layer Zero bought out the stake that was held by FTX Ventures and Alameda Research, and Near clarified the exact nature of the token allocation that FTX and Alameda received to the tune of 17 million tokens, a small overall portion of supply, but still significant. 
So I'd recommend that you use this diagram from the block, this slide, it mark down any project that you're invested in that's listed here and check their official communications channels like Twitter to get clarification as to the level of exposure they have. If there is no transparency there yet, you should tweet them or send them a message and demand that transparency be shared with the community. With this information on exposure, you can make a decision as to what to do with your own holdings. Now, there's one little hiding thing here that people need to be aware of, and that is the reports about projects who are secretly completely insolvent because their treasuries were held on FTX. So all the tokens they had to pay their employees and to do things in the market are gone now. And I've done as much digging as I can to find out which projects these may be, but all I can find is conjecture, and I don't think it's fair to post speculation on something so significant. So I implore you to watch your investment social channels very carefully, and any projects you know that had depository relationships at FTX would be ones to consider taking action and de-risking from now, maybe even before this stuff comes public. Now, if we look at one last category here that could be in for some turbulence, it would be acquisitions and those who took loans from FTX or its subsidiaries. I already alluded to BlockFi, who are one of the highly publicized bailouts, quote-unquote, FTX made during the last big blow-up in crypto with Three Arrows Capital and Terra Luna. But this week, BlockFi suddenly halted withdrawals on their platform, ceasing normal operations with pretty much no transparency as to why. This came two days after they took to Twitter to say everything was fine. And so that's the theme here. You should expect that companies who say everything is fine are actually, in fact, not fine. You have to be skeptical. And this happened last time around all the time. There were a few companies that were not explicitly called out in the Chapter 11 proceedings, though, for FTX and Alameda, etc., uh, like Ledger X and a few small FTX product companies like FTX Express Pay and the Australian arm of the company. But there are others with purported exposure through lending that are likely yet unknown, as well as those who might be exposed from a bankruptcy perspective. So this will be one to watch, but unfortunately more predict unpredictable, excuse me, because you just don't know what you don't know about how affected these companies might be and where this contagion has already spread outside of what we already know. As we saw with the Three Arrows Capital saga, it can take months to unravel and uncover the effects of a poisoned well like the one that FTX and Alameda have created. The key here is to pay close attention. Do not turn your eyes away because complacency and apathy now can be the difference between a 15% loss and a total loss for a given asset. So easy actions you can take today. First and foremost would be to remove assets from any custodial process or product that you use, including exchanges. Limit your exposure to stablecoins to avoid the risk of stablecoin depegging. And I'll keep you updated here as I learn more or hear more about new developments. But for now, I want to be transparent and say that I've trimmed my remaining exposure to the Solano ecosystem as well as Aptos. And I reduced positions in Near, Link, and all my holdings in stablecoins. So I'm not all out of stablecoins, but I've trimmed a lot. So I'm going to be fully transparent here so you have a clear picture of what I'm doing. But please don't just copy what I'm doing, make your own choices. Now, in other news, I wanted to point out that a new era has just begun to rise from the ashes in crypto, and this is the era of POR or proof of reserves. And it's a return to what was once the focal point of this industry, transparency and verifiability. What proof of reserves really offers is a way for crypto exchanges and other custodial entities to provably demonstrate to their depositors that they have the necessary assets in reserve to cover withdrawals to operate normally. And what reserves 
are constituted in is also very important. For example, if an exchange keeps too much of its reserves in its own exchange token and highly speculative coins, depositors might not feel comfortable using the platform anymore because what if that coin blows up, now you can't cover my withdrawals. The reality is that there's a long overdue standard in place here that as users and depositors, we should have always demanded from companies we trust to hold our crypto for however long we trust them to do it. Companies like Chainlink now are tapping into their secret sauce for providing on-chain data and enabling proof of reserves for exchanges and other companies in need in a really quick way. And that trend's gonna continue, not just from Chainlink, but from many other companies as well. You have accounting firms from the traditional finance world delving into this space as well and offering options and services here too. I wanna be clear though, proof of reserves is great, but it's not a replacement for self-custody. You should still not trust an exchange or custodian to hold your assets long-term, okay? Even with adequate reserves and transparency to boot, it's simply not worth the risk to treat a custodian as a long-term holder of your crypto. And I wanna say that proof of reserves has to be a product of both assets and liabilities. None of this whole one-sided story thing, because you can have billions in assets, but if you have billions in liabilities, there's still a problem. So watch out for scummy companies who are pitching proof of reserves, but are not giving a clear picture of their liabilities because that's not transparency, that's manipulation. In other news, the crypto payments focused company Ramp just raised around 70 million to build out its products focused on a unified payments experience for crypto. Now, I was really surprised about this. First, because venture money is definitely not as easy to come by now, particularly in crypto, and that's a big raise, but also because crypto payments and you know crypto on-ramping is really not a new use case. It's something that's been around a while. It's been addressed by many startups, and there's some okay products out there. That said, when I read up on Ramp's vision here, and I got to actually dive a little deeper into their products, I started to understand why they got as much interest and capital in this Series B raise. With a focus on e-commerce, Ramp provides a non-custodial payments platform that allows users to on-ramp from fiat currency to crypto in a simple flow that supports many forms of payment methods. Therefore, a business could use Ramp to cover all of its crypto payment rail needs all in one place, and to do so in a way that does not require any custody of user assets. This idea is not necessarily new, but execution is everything. Idea versus execution. And I've used some truly, I've used some truly horrendous crypto on ramps myself, to be honest, using them to buy ETH inside a wallet to test, and it can really kill the whole experience. It makes you just wanna leave the app and not use it again. So Ramp is clearly onto something uh, because I poked around their site and docs and it seems like a really well-built product and it seems like it works intuitively for once. So we'll see what they do with this new injection of cash. And actually speaking of payments as well, Cardano just released a short blog about a new feature and offering in their ecosystem that is focused on payments due later this year. As you may know, Cardano's development arm, IOG, has been working on developing a layer two scaling solution called Hydro, which is really a family of protocols. And this maintains the core operational structure of the layer one Cardano network, but at a much higher scale on the layer two. The first core module or protocol of Hydra is the Hydra head, which is like a mini version of the Cardano network designed to facilitate transactions between a small group of participants in a layer two capacity off chain. 
This Hydra head technology is now ready to be used, and in collaboration with Obsidian Systems, IOG is turning it into a payments product that can be used in many different types of use cases. This project, dubbed Hydra for Payments, will feature a suite of tools for developers to adopt the features, particularly focused on light wallet developers, so non-full sync uh, wallets who will want to use the cheaper, faster micropayments on Hydra but may not want to build every element of integration with Hydra heads by themselves. So it's an abstraction. It's a way to advance these wallet developers' development experience forward. So this toolkit is going to represent uh, how to help get started creating and maintaining a Hydra head, of course, as well as connecting to that Hydra head, consuming its functionality, and integrating one's wallet infrastructure with it. So it's going to have a lot of functionality in it. And the initial tranche of features will land in Q4 2022 with deeper functionality arriving in 2023. So it won't be long yet for Cardano fans to see this all in action and hopefully use wallets that have adopted it shortly thereafter. And so there's also action going on as well in the Cosmos ecosystem where the rhetorical battle rages on related to Proposition 82 dubbed Atom 2.0 that would enable liquid staking on Cosmos. And liquid staking in this case refers to the ability to stake Atom and also maintain liquidity of that asset to be used across the ecosystem, which some believe could be a dangerous economic move with implications to the security of the network. Jay Kwan, a founder of Cosmos and the architect behind Cosmos Blockchain Network's core engine, Tendermint, has himself spoken out against Proposition 82, arguing that point among others. Quan, uh, who has been at the center of conflict with his co-founders of Cosmos in the distant past, and that is the past, is asserting now that Atom 2.0 sets a dangerous precedent in minting new Atom supply to a treasury that is controlled by a select few, a select committee, and further, that these changes are being bundled together in one large nebulous paper rather than voted on individually upon each feature's merit and risk profile. Proponents of Atom 2.0, on the other hand, see it as a fix for the often lambasted tokenomics in the Cosmos Hub, which sees Atom's supply sit significantly higher over time than holders really want. So people want a fix for tokenomics, and this is purported as the idea. In this case, it looks like Jaquan's concerns will be left unaddressed, though, as the vote closes on Monday uh, to consummate the Prop 82 changes, and votes are heavily in favor of the change so far. That said, I do think Quan has a point here. Each significant feature should be analyzed very deeply and carefully individually, explained to the community in a way that makes it easy to grasp, and then voted on individually, except in cases where one feature depends on the other to exist or function. He's also right to call into question economic changes that could affect the stability and security of the network, particularly during a chaotic time like we're in right now in the wake of FTX's market contagion. So I'm not really taking one side over another here because I believe that the changes proposed in Prop 82 have been tested and modeled adequately to adopt them. But I also believe that the Cosmos community should heed warnings and ideas from the likes of Jay Kwan. Diversity of opinion and compromise therein is how resilient protocols are built, and long may it continue. The only important thing in crypto is not the token price. There's a lot of other things that go into it. So when you start tinkering, bad things can happen if you're not careful. Now, my friends, you know what time it is? It's 4.04, and that means 4.04 Logic Not Found, a firecracker of this segment on the show where we bring attention to illogical happenings in the crypto space. And if you want to help this show get some attention, please hit the like button, get subscribed, follow the podcast, share it with your friends. All of that is much appreciated. Whatever you can do, thanks very much in advance. Now, today, 
we are addressing a situation that quite frankly, I don't understand why it's even a topic of conversation or discussion. In the wake of the FTX collapse, the US senators that have been drafting a crypto regulation bill, I don't know why I was tripping on that, indicated that they would be proceeding with the bill citing, quote, the events that have transpired this week reinforce the clear need for greater federal oversight of the digital asset industry. Now, I don't disagree with this at face value, and it is no surprise. I told you regulation's coming. It was before this. It is now. We all know that, especially in the wake of this FTX disaster. However, it's this particular bill, the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act 2022, DCCPA, that I'm unsure of for one major reason. It was reported heavily a while back that Sam Bankman-Fried, the main responsible party for all the disastrous consequences you're seeing right now in the crypto markets, public enemy number one, was heavily in support of this policy. And it's alleged that he may have also influenced some of the contents of this policy through his consistent audiences in front of Congress and his political activity therein. As a general rule of thumb, I would be taking a deep second look at any policy supported by the responsible party in a tens of billion dollar contagion event in the markets you're trying to regulate, but that's just me. It's the equivalent of corporate accounting policy advice from the head honchos at Enron. It just doesn't make any sense, and it's really important to distance this bill from anything related to Sam Bankman-Fried. For what it's worth, I actually don't hate this bill, and based on what we've heard about it, it's not perfect, but it's not horrible either. However, since this bill is in pre-published state, there's still plenty of time to solicit feedback from industry players who actually understand this space and may have insight into how Sam Bankman-Fried and his clown crew blew everything up and to also distance this bill from any association with Sam Bankman-Fried in any of his companies, products, or people. It is simply illogical to leave that whole elephant in the room unaddressed. And after several Senate hearings that Sam Bankman-Fried had attended, it's not unreasonable to worry that policy could be influenced by things that were said by him in those hearings. And worse yet, that this bill would further be drafted without any further perspective from those who understand the crypto space as a whole because of how all this has transpired. Are they going to no longer want to solicit opinions from people in the industry because they got burned by Sam Bankman-Fried? At the end of the day, regulation's coming whether we like it or not. So we must all hope that there is room in this process for sensible compromise to be made that will support innovation, but leave no room or little room for a repeat of the silent disaster that was FTX. So let me know in the comments what your thoughts are around crypto regulation, not just in the United States, because the US isn't the only country in the world, right? Wherever you live, tell me what you think. What's going on there? What are your politicians thinking? What do you think the right answers are? Let me know in the comments. And I would love to read them and understand folks' perspective. So with that, folks, today, uh, that is it for Crypto Over Coffee. I really appreciate you uh, joining and checking out this episode. If you got some time to stick around, I do have a really, really concise video that talks about all the stuff that's going on related to FTX, what happened uh, in in a way that's easy to understand, as well as some updates as well on that library case with the SEC. That was in uh, last week's episode. So I'm going to link that in the description of this episode of Crypto Over Coffee. But most of all, I want to wish you and your family a wonderful week ahead. And until next time, cheers.